several years ago, I was in the midst of an acrimonious divorce from my then-husband, full of crazy allegations and typical angry filings centered around the custody of our child. As with many divorces, friends and professional colleagues seemed to pick one side or the other. In my case, there was one sort of professional contact who reached out to me after hearing about the divorce, who offered to be a witness for my case because of some experiences he related that I had been previously unaware of regarding my ex's behavior while out at networking events or weekends away. After this initial call, he started calling on a semi-regular basis to, quote, make sure I was okay. This wasn't someone I knew well prior to the separation, and he was much older than I was, but claimed to have experience with divorce and custody, and I figured it was a good idea to be polite and not alienate him, since his testimony was important, per my lawyer. I kept things friendly, but I always had a weird feeling about him. After a few months, he called one day that my son was very sick, and when I told him that I couldn't talk and explained why, he offered to run to the store for me, which I honestly appreciated. But after that, he was dropping by the house uninvited, or he would stop by with cookies for my son, things like that. Again, I kept telling myself to keep things polite. The divorce is coming soon. Don't make this guy mad. He had called me out of the blue, and I was worried at this point that I was walking a very fine line being polite, but clearly not interested. And if he got mad, he might decide to go testify for my ex and say who knows what. During this time, he had also helped me set up a security camera system that my dad had mailed me. And on another occasion, I needed someone to walk my dog and he offered to do it. He used and returned a spare key that very same day. One evening, he showed up while I was painting and insisted on sticking around to help, even though I was having my starting over catharsis and wanted to do it alone. Just after the painting day, he came around, both uninvited and unannounced, with magazine photos of decor and started carrying on in this manic way about how we finished decorating the house. I was so weirded out that I made an excuse to leave, began to ignore his calls, and took my son and dog to stay with my parents for several weeks to avoid a drop-in. I came home a few weeks later, thinking he would have gotten the hint, and it was all quiet that day. The following morning, though, I took my son on an outing, something like the zoo. We both came back hot and tired, I put my kiddo down for a nap in my bed and decided to close my eyes along with him. I woke up maybe an hour or so later, and it took me a moment to realize that something was way off. As I'm blinking off the sleep, I realized there was a rose bush sitting on my bedside table that I most definitely had not put there. There was a post-it note on it as well, something about planting it in the yard. I started shaking immediately because I recognized the handwriting. As I stood up to go splash some water in my face and decide whether to call my parents or the police, I still didn't want any trouble because of the divorce. As I stepped into my bathroom, I realized that the mirror was covered in post-it notes, all with super creepy messages that were intended as like love notes or with affection, but all of which scared me to high heavens. I was still waking up and trying to figure out how these notes could possibly have gotten into my house. My front door was definitely locked. But as I went room to room, 
There were notes everywhere. I mean hundreds of post-it notes, covering the walls, in my cabinets. There was even one inside of my coffee maker. I started grabbing all of them and putting them into a pile. When I got to one in the kitchen, it made my blood run cold. It said, you're cute when you think no one is watching you. And I realized that there was a security camera pointed right where that note was left. The one that he had helped me set up months earlier, when I didn't think that he was a psychopath. I called my parents in hysterics, sent them a bunch of photos, and my dad insisted that I should not call the police. Remember, I was still going through a custody battle. But that he would drive over, change the locks, and put a chain on the front door. We also immediately changed the passwords on the security cameras, which originally had been installed to document if my ex tried to break into the house. So there was one on the front porch, but three inside the house, including one in my bedroom. This man could apparently see and hear everything going on inside of my house for months. I realized with the security cameras, he had just paid attention to my passwords when I was setting up the system. But the only way I can figure that he got into my house is that he must have made a copy of my house key the day that he had it. And because my dog had gotten to know him, he wouldn't have barked to warn me, which also scared me. I was absolutely horrified. This man had been in my house for a long time. There's no way he could have put that many notes up that quickly. And he was right next to my face and feet from my son while we were sleeping. And he somehow thought that that was okay. I left and stayed with my parents again for a few days, afraid of what he was going to do when he realized that he was now both physically and digitally locked out of my house. When I came home, my son had gone to his dad's for the night, and I was home alone, on the phone with another friend from out of town. About 10 p.m., this man showed up at the door, pounding on it, trying the locks, screaming obscenities, and demanding to be let into his house. Gone were all the niceties. This was someone completely furious and derailed. All I could do was hide in my bedroom until he left, what felt like an hour later. This was St. Patrick's Day, so I'm positive that he had been drinking. After that, there were several other times someone would start knocking on the door in the middle of the night, always when my son wasn't home. I think he was crazy, but not that crazy, and figured if I called police, he would get in more trouble if my son was there. But he knew the schedule, so I knew it was him. He tried reaching out using fake social media accounts several times, always getting blocked. Years later, I discovered that he had friended my mom on Facebook and was therefore still able to see all the photos of us that she posted or shared. And there was a huge argument when I saw a conversation they were having about me and how he could get back into my life. I sold that house two years later, still finding new notes even as I was packing. And I'm more than relieved that he no longer knows where I live. I don't post photos of my new house online, not the front anyway. And I have changed the privacy settings on my social media accounts. I avoid all the places he used to go, the networking events he attends, and I stay as under the radar as possible. I could never bring myself to play back the security camera videos because I was traumatized enough and didn't want to see just how much danger we could have been in. Hopefully he never sees or hears this post, but you know who you are, and I just hope our paths never cross again.
I'm going to preface this story by saying that pretty much no one in my circle believes me when I tell it. But I want to share this story because I spoke about it for the first time yesterday in a long time, and it brought about a lot of feelings that I'm trying to reconcile. I live in Northern Europe, Finland to be specific. My country is cold and covered by large forests and several lakes. My family consists of my mother, father, and an older brother who is three years older than me. He's really important to this story. It's also important to know that my parents' house is literally in the middle of nowhere, just forest around it. There aren't even proper roads or any streetlights. The nearest neighbor lives really far away, probably about 10 kilometers. In my country, winter comes early and lasts longer than summer, so the days are dark almost all year round. My father is a fireman and my mother is a nurse, so they've always been on the night shift. They've left me and my brother home alone pretty much since we were just toddlers. I don't know if it's even legal to leave us alone, but my brother has always been good at taking care of me. This particular evening was close to Christmas. Both of us were on winter break, but my brother still went to ice hockey practice. He was really tired that night afterwards. Father and mother had gone to work at night, like usual, and left us alone. I was eight at the time, which meant my brother was 11. We often slept next to each other downstairs in our parents' bed, but I decided to be a big girl that night and sleep in my own bed upstairs. I really just wanted to play my Nintendo, and I knew my brother wouldn't let me. He was so tired after training that all he wanted to do was go to sleep. We ate, brushed our teeth, and went to our rooms upstairs. My room faced the forest, and his room faced the only dirt road near us. There's a hall and a toilet between our rooms. My brother must have fallen asleep right away, but I played and played, probably for hours. I played so long that I lost track of time. I was under my covers in case my brother came to scold me. I started to hear something outside, though. I didn't pay attention to it at first. I've lived all my life in the middle of the forest, so you regularly hear the sounds of the night, animals, and various unexplained things pretty much all the time. What I originally heard was a small noise, but that changed in a second. Someone started shouting almost screaming. It sounded like a grown man who may have been wounded or hurt. I lifted my head from under the covers, startled, and listened for a moment. I called out my brother's name, but he didn't answer. I got up from my bed and ran to his room, where I found him sleeping soundly. I started to try to rock him awake. At the same time, I saw from his alarm clock that it was nearly two in the morning. My brother woke up confused and dazed. Do you hear that? I asked him in a whisper. My brother's eyes widened, and all sleep vanished from his face. He sprang up, didn't say a word, but walked towards my room. The shouting came from somewhere in the forest. We stood together in my room and stared out into the dark blankness. I think someone needs help, I said quietly but my brother's expression didn't change. His face was like stone. No, no one needs the help of two kids. Besides, if he needed help, he would be screaming for help. My brother turned around. He was right. I heard no words. 
just screaming. My brother walked downstairs, and I right after him. Our house has three doors. He tried each of them to make sure that they were locked tight. He took our father's headlamp, because it had the strongest light. Then he picked up the house phone, before calling for help. He made sure all the lights were off, took my hand, and began to lead us back upstairs. Then he stopped. The shouting had changed. It no longer sounded scared or in need of help. It sounded irritated, angry, like it was annoyed that we didn't come out looking for it. My brother squeezed my hand and continued to pull me upstairs. He stared at my room for a moment before he pulled me into his own. He closed the door and sat behind his bed, pulling me into his arms. It was dark everywhere. My brother hadn't turned on the headlamp, but he had 112, our version of 911, ready on the phone. We sat there in silence. The sound had come closer until it was clearly behind the window of my room. We heard someone banging on the window. I began to sob. My brother stroked my head to calm me down, but it didn't help at all. I was terrified. The sound seemed to be coming closer and closer. It had climbed the fire escape under my window, and I was traveling along the rain gutters towards my brother's window. Then it became silent. The voice had stopped screaming, but we could hear it clinging to the rain gutters to get closer to us. Then it was too quiet. My brother turned on the headlamp and pointed the light towards his window. Seeing nothing, he turned off the light and waited a moment longer. Then he pointed it at the window again, still nothing. Before he could do this a third time, there was a large crash, as if a big pile of snow had dropped from the roof down to the terrace. My brother flashed the light in the window. This time there was something on it, the kind of trace that is left when you breathe too closely to glass. My brother immediately turned off the light. Whatever it was, it had fallen down because my brother's window had nothing to hold on to. We started hearing moaning and groaning. It sounded only partially human at this point, but absolutely in anguish. If you've ever heard the sound that a bear makes when it's been shot, that's what it sounded like. But it had just a touch of man to it. Then the voice became angry again, going into a full tantrum. It started hitting the wall of our house. I squeezed both my eyes shut, and pressed my head against my brother's shirt. It raged for a while, but started to whine and moan once more. It no longer sounded human at all. I can't describe what it sounded like, but it didn't sound natural. My brother dropped the headlamp on the floor and hugged me tightly. We listened to the sound for quite a long time. I don't remember at what point I fell asleep, but by the time I woke up, it was morning. The beautiful morning sun reflected against the white snow. I was laying on my brother's bed, and he was sitting next to me reading comics. He just smiled. Had I been dreaming? I didn't have time to say anything when we heard the lock on the front door open. It was 9am. My father had just come home. My brother cheerfully jumped out of bed and ran to greet Dad downstairs. Maybe I had a nightmare and went to sleep next to my brother. It doesn't sound impossible, especially since my brother didn't mention it in the morning. 
I had convinced myself at that point that I had had a nightmare that just felt real. I believe so for many, many years. However, that all changed. My brother came to visit me yesterday. Nowadays, I live in the capital of my country, far from my mother and father, because I go to university. My brother had broken up with his long-term girlfriend, and I promised that he could bunk in my place as long as he needed. We had a lot of fun, just like old times. We drank some wine, watched a movie, and just talked about everything. Then we began to talk a little deeper, which usually happens after drinking wine. I turned to look out my window. Winter was coming, and it was already dark. It brought back childhood memories. I told him about the dream that I had when I was little, while looking at the street lamps outside. This darkness reminds me of when I had a nightmare as a child. I dreamt that someone screamed behind my window, and I hid in your room with you. Wasn't I a strange little girl? I laughed and turned to look at my brother, who's now 23. He's huge, into bodybuilding, and his blonde beard. He looks a bit like a Viking, and the look that I saw on his face then, I had never seen on him as an adult. He looked at me with wide eyes, pale, like he had seen a ghost. I freaked out a little bit. What? I asked awkwardly. You remember that? He asked. It got quiet again. What do you mean? It was a dream. My brother looked really startled, as if I had dug up a memory from his mind that he had wanted to forget. My brother shook his head. I thought you wouldn't remember that. You were so little. I hoped that you would forget. My brother looked at me blankly and told me his side of the story. He told me how I had fallen asleep in his arms from exhaustion. He pushed me to his bed, but he didn't fall asleep that night. He sat by my side all night, just like a guard dog. The morning had begun to dawn. The sound began to fade until it just disappeared. My brother still couldn't sleep, though. He decided to start reading comics to pass the time. When father had come home, my brother had gone out to look for tracks. But since it had snowed all night and morning, any tracks were covered. For the next week, my brother visited my room several times a night to make sure that I was sleeping safely. We started talking more about what happened. Neither of us ever mentioned what happened to anybody. I asked him why he didn't call 112, but he just shook his head. Who would have believed me? He was right. It would have sounded like a prank invented by little boys. My brother also said he was annoyed that he didn't flash the light to the window sooner. He would have wanted to see what the creature or person looked like. I was just happy that I hadn't seen anything. I'm also happy to know that I'm not crazy. It wasn't a dream. I have a witness. My brother experienced it too, and he remembers it better than I do. But no one else seems to believe me. Nor would anybody believe him. Of course, it's also possible that somehow we created the whole thing in our heads. We have no physical evidence of what happened, and it did happen years ago. It's very possible that we were just kids with overactive imaginations. I'm certainly not denying that possibility. But if we both have a recollection for something that we never spoke about, it's much more likely that this did indeed happen, and that there was someone or something climbing on our house that night, trying to lure two children outside. 
I've been a long time lurker here, but have taken a while to post this because I wanted to unearth the messages from this night and knew that it would be uncomfortable. This happened about six years ago. I was 25 at the time, moved out of my parents' house into an apartment in a big city with two of my male friends. For context, I'm female. The neighborhood we moved into had previously been a not-so-great area, but it had been up and coming for some time, and I had never felt unsafe there, aside from this night. It was our second night in the apartment. While asleep, I was woken up by the sound of cabinets being opened and closed, and the sound of heavy-sounding boots walking around. I was immediately annoyed, thinking if this was how loud it would be every morning when my roommates got ready for work, I would be in for a long lease. As I laid in bed, mind you, still half asleep, my bedroom door was opened, and the lights momentarily turned on. I started to pull my covers off of my head and to turn towards the door when the lights quickly turned off and the door was slammed shut. At this point, I was confused as to why my roommates would come into my bedroom like that. I looked at the clock and it was a shade after 2 a.m. I had then realized that something wasn't right. I messaged my roommates. Me. Who's up right now? Roommate. Me. Me. LOL. Okay. Roommate. Yo, someone opened my bedroom door. Me. Wait. Me too. That wasn't you? Roommate. No. Me. What the f***? Roommate. Uh, yeah, what the f***? Could it have been roommate number two? Me. Someone turned on my light and had shoes on, going through the cabinets. Roommate. Dude, what the f***? I'm gonna get up. We both walked out of our rooms at the same time. We looked towards the living room and noticed the window was open and the blinds were mangled. We turned around toward the back door as we heard footsteps on the back porch. I quickly locked the door behind whoever it was as my roommate grabbed a knife. We then called the cops. We took this moment to look around the apartment and take stock of what was missing. To our surprise, the only thing gone was an external hard drive and our other roommate, who had left some hours ago, although we didn't know this at the time. We stayed up for a while, unable to fall back asleep, as we shared a can of black olives. I think not seeing the intruder has made it easier to overcome, and I'm fortunate that nothing further happened when they opened my bedroom door. We suspect whoever it was thought the apartment was still vacant, but who knows. We haven't had any such visitors since night two in the apartment although we promptly changed our locks and make sure all doors and windows are latched before calling it a night. I grew up out in the wooded country in Illinois, on a short dead-end street about 10 miles from the nearest town. There were seven houses in the area, spread out on two and a half acres of wooded lots there were no large wild animals there, and people didn't meander there or show up lost. Actually, lost folks or large animals wandering around never happened in the 20 years that I lived there, so please keep that in mind for this story. When I was a young girl, in my early teens, I had a good guy friend a few years older than me who lived next door, Terry. 
Terry was allowed to go out with his friends much later than I was, and he would sometimes tromp over to my yard after getting home late and throw rocks from the gravel area outside my window to chat. My bed was right next to the window. I'd open it, and we'd whisper stories and generally talk for a bit. My second-story window faced our backyard, and his house was to the side. I could see his house from my window over the shrub trees and the walking path to his driveway as well. I'd often know if he was out, the light was on over the side door entrance, or if he was already home and the light was off. One time, during the summer, when my window was open, I heard a car in his driveway dropping him off. I was probably 14 or 15 at the time, and it was just around midnight. I heard Terry get out of the car and begin to talk to his friends. But soon his friends were pulling away. I softly called out, as loud as I could without waking my parents, asking Terry to stop by and chat. He didn't respond, though, as he probably didn't hear me. Then I came up with a not-so-brilliant idea to sneak outside and try to scare him. I'd spent many years in the woods, learning how to blend in and be silent. As kids, we'd often sneak around and scare each other, so this was nothing new. I silently sneaked down from the second floor and out my back garage door, which led to our backyard below my window, and backed up to Terry's house off to the side, through our gravel area and a well-worn path through the woods that was no more than 25 feet long. My parents had just put in a gravel pit around the back of the house, probably because nothing much grew due to the shade of the oak trees. There were 14-inch oak rounds set out as an uneven stepping path in the gravel, and if you stepped off of the rounds, the crunch of rocks would give you away. I picked my way expertly and silently across the log rounds facing Terry's house. My eyes got accustomed to the dark, but I didn't see him. It was at that time that I heard the door of his house close and the light going off, signaling that he went in, likely going to bed. I waited a bit, as I thought I saw something move in the woods between our houses, but not on the path that we'd always use. If you didn't use the path, there were wild rose and raspberry plants that had thorns and were painful to walk through if you weren't careful. So I thought it was odd that he'd be in the woods, but maybe he wanted to scare me, like I was plotting to do to him. I saw something human-sized and dark moving through the woods slow and pausing every once in a while like me. It was coming closer, and I definitely saw it, but it was strange in that it wasn't walking directly to my window to talk. Therefore, I hunched down and waited in silence wondering if I could still startle him. I still thought it was Terry, and maybe he saw me sneak out and was just trying to scare me back. I watched a dark outline of a human figure moving, but then I would lose sight of it in the foliage. It seemed to be stalking slowly and listening or checking every few feet while hiding. So I whispered after losing patience one last time for Terry, to no response. I got bored of hiding and crouching, so I quietly tippy-toed back to my garage door, went back inside silently, locking up as I did. I snuck back upstairs to my room, above the area where I was just standing. My window was open, and I definitely heard someone or something walking around the yard. I whispered again for Terry, but got no answer. Then I heard someone fall, 
and grunt pretty loudly in the window well right below my window. It wasn't enough to wake my parents, but definitely loud enough that I didn't mistake it, and it sent a shock of fear through me. If you aren't familiar with a window well, it's a semicircular hole connected to the house, dug out about three or four feet deep, and reinforced with metal. It allows a basement window to be put in below ground level, and the hole lets some natural light in. There's no way Terry would have fallen in our window well. We had played hide and seek for years around the whole entire neighborhood. We knew everyone's window wells and house footprints like the back of our hands. The grunt sounded absolutely humanish and not like an animal. It also pulled itself out quietly without a lot of thrashing. That's when I realized this wasn't a fun game and someone was out there and it surely wasn't Terry. I tried to look out my window as best as I could, but the screen on it kept me from leaning my head out so I couldn't see the wall of our house or anything directly below me. I then heard the crunch of rocks as whoever it was was stepping in the noisy gravel outside. Again, Terry would know where the log rounds were and wouldn't step in the gravel to make noise. He knew my parents were pretty strict and he was as good as being quiet as I was. Whatever it was, whoever it was, stopped, and I held my breath. I pretty much sat there with my face pressed against the screen, two stories up for probably a half an hour. But as time wore on, and I heard nothing further, I grew tired and eventually fell asleep on my bed that was next to the window. There are a few things that I'm certain of. It wasn't Terry out there. I asked him later, and he said that he went to bed that night as soon as he got home. He also would have no reason to lie. I'm pretty sure it wasn't one of our neighbors, and I can't think of any reason a person would be out there. We had very few neighbors, and only two other houses out of the seven had kids. There weren't any big animals in the area as I said earlier. Only on rare occasions we would see some deer, but they were hunted, didn't come close to the houses, and our dogs would scare them away. I'm not sure what would possess a stranger to be out there that night, but I'm very glad that we never came face to face. For a little context, this story happened about 20 years ago, just after Christmas. I had turned six a month prior. My mom went out one day and left my then 16-year-old cousin to look after me and my two older siblings. Brother was eight, sister was eleven. My cousin decided to take us out to the city, which was ten minutes from where we lived. We took the bus, walked around the city in incredibly unsafe neighborhoods with basically another child responsible for us. After a few hours, we got tired and decided that it was time to go home. The city had a central area for the buses. Not a bus station per se, but like a huge, perfectly square field with some plants and flowers as well as bushes. Lining all four sides along the street were a couple of bus stops and benches, so basically you could catch several different buses from that area, going all over the city and county. Since it was just after Christmas, the bushes alongside the field were still covered in Christmas lights. As we waited for the bus, I began to wander away as I admired the lights, and my cousin was none the wiser. At some point, I heard a man say hi. I looked up from the bush and he was smiling down at me. 
Thinking back on it once I got older, it was clear that he was homeless and was most likely on drugs. He had longish brown hair that was wet, teeth that were black along the gums, and his clothes were incredibly dirty, torn, and he had several jackets on. None of this really registered in my six-year-old brain, so I just smiled back up and said hi. He asked if I liked looking at the lights, and I said yes, they're very pretty. He said, and I'll never forget this exact sentence, if you like Christmas lights, I've got some really cool lights at my house that you'll love. Would you like to come see them? I eagerly said yes, so he reached down his hand to me, and I took it. We started to walk away, and were headed to the corner of the field where a few big buildings were. He said his apartment was just a couple of blocks away, so we were headed around the corner of the building when my other arm jerked backwards, and I turned to see my sister pulling me away from this man. He didn't say a single word, just instantly took off running. It took me a few years for me to fully grasp the danger that I was in. My brother and sister talked about what happened a lot and just how scary it was. When I finally got a little older, I finally appreciated just how terrifying it was and how close I was to having my life change or end. If I had rounded that city corner with him, they never would have been able to find me in time because they wouldn't even know where to start looking before we disappeared around the corner, vanishing into the midst of the city. This is still something that we bring up sometimes to this day, and it's frightening every time it comes up. I almost put myself in tears just recounting this story now. Watch out for your little ones, and be careful when you decide to let children watch other children. There's no telling how sideways it can get, and just how quickly it can get there. The wife and I live in a decent area, nicely cared for homes, trimmed yards, fairly friendly neighbors for the most part. However, we're just a couple of houses off of a main street where there are a number of duplexes. We rent in a converted home from the early 1900s that's a duplex too, so I'm not throwing any shade. But some of these duplexes seem to partake in some odd activities. Strangers parking on our street for five minutes to an hour sometimes leaving someone in the vehicle, sometimes parked for days at a time. Anyway, I know the signs. There's also a fairly large homeless encampment about a half a mile away, so we get the occasional colorful character roaming through, looking for recycling, something not nailed down, an open car door. You get the idea, but I digress. One Friday night, around 10 p.m., there's a knock on our door. No one visits us without a heads up or an invitation, especially that late. But I thought maybe one of our neighbors needed something. Now, I'm a bit paranoid. Mm, security conscious is a better way of saying it. So I never just go open the door. During the day, I would look out a side window before looking through the glass at the top of the door. But due to the hour, it's dark out. So the side window isn't even an option. In addition to the hour... Even if it is my neighbor, something about this situation just doesn't seem right. So I grab my handy dandy, I'll let your imagination fill in the blank here, walk over to the door and flip on the porch light. I have to stand on my tiptoes to see out the little block windows at the top of the door. There's a man staring back at me, about my height, 
six feet tall, scruffy facial hair, shaved head, looking a little agitated, maybe a bit speedy. He says that he's looking for somebody, but I can't hear it through slurred speech. I ask, who? He says, Kevin. I tell him that there's no Kevin here. The man looks back at me and says, he said that he'd be here. I tell him, you got the wrong address, or maybe you got fished. Stranger says, can I come in and use your phone? I quickly say, nope, good luck. And I stared at him until he turned around, walked down the steps, and headed back towards the sidewalk. At this point, I turn off the porch light, went over to the blinds, and watched him wander off down the street. Who knows if the guy was legitimately lost or looking for some fool to just open their door. Whatever the case, don't take chances. Even during the day, if I ordered something that I know that I need to sign for, but the courier can't properly identify themselves, you can leave it on the porch, and I'll get to it when I get to it. But the door stays closed. On the off chance that they try to kick it in, good luck. The odds just won't be in your favor. After spending an entire slow day at work reading through this sub, I now want to share my little story. My childhood best friend, Marie and I were around 11 or 12 years old at the time. Marie's family had their own campsite in a provincial park about two hours from our hometown, and would spend the entire summer each year living in their camper out there. This particular summer, I was able to go and stay with them for a week, and we were excited to spend our time adventuring around the park the forest, and the lake. On the last night I was out there, we decided we wanted to hurry down to the ice cream shop by the lake before it closed. It was early evening at this point, still pretty bright out, but beginning to lose light. The path we took was down a short slope right next to the main road with maybe 10 feet of thick brush and trees in between. On the other side was the forest, with more tall thick brush, as well as towering ancient trees. So we were walking along, not seeing a single other person on the path in front or behind us. We all of a sudden hear rustling and snapping of branches, similar to the sound of maybe a deer or another animal moving through the woods. I wouldn't have thought anything of it. But then, the sound of running footsteps follows. Marie glances back over her shoulder and lunges for my arm, urging me under her breath not to look back. At the same time, the sound of running stops. I don't know why I didn't ignore her and get a look myself. I guess I could sense the very real fear in her voice and chose to listen. We both start to panic, though, getting that feeling like when you're running up the stairs after turning the basement light off. We pick up speed as much as we can without breaking into a full sprint, knowing that the plaza of the park that has the ice cream shop, a carousel, and more importantly, people, is only about a minute away at this point. The path soon breaks, and we find ourselves in the parking lot. Suddenly, Marie steers me hard to the left, heading towards the lake and the boat rental, instead of continuing straight to the plaza, and I go along with it silently, understanding that ice cream is no longer of interest anymore. Marie is clearly panicking at this point, we're both looking around, but it seems whatever scared her is nowhere in sight. 
Marie walks up to the boat rental, gets us a kayak, and we climb in and begin to paddle towards the middle of the lake. As we paddle, she tells me that there was a man behind us and that that man had stopped running at us very abruptly upon making eye contact with her. He had been wearing a long black coat with the hood up, despite it being the middle of July. He had a terrible smirk on his face, and she swore that as he stopped running, she saw him put something shiny away into his coat. He appeared to have just emerged out of the bushes after we walked past, given the sounds we heard right before he came running onto the path. We reached the center of the lake and stop our paddling. I pull out my Nokia brick phone that my parents had thank God given me, just in case. I hand it to Marie and tell her to call her parents to come pick us up. As the phone rings, I see her look out past me towards the shore and go pale. She lifts a hand to point at what she's seeing. I turn, and there was the man, stalking his way around the path that circled the edge of the lake, staring out at us. We sat in the middle of the lake and watched him do two full laps, never once looking away from us, before finally disappearing back into the trees. It took a few tries to get a hold of her family. We were freaking out so bad the whole time, as the sun got lower and lower. It took her father about 20 minutes to finally pull into the parking lot, and by the time we reached the shore, it was pretty dark outside. I don't know what we would have done if we hadn't been able to call for a ride. Looking back, I don't know why we just didn't go to the ice cream shop, inform an adult there, and ask her parents to come get us then. But it worked out. We got back safe, and thankfully we never saw that man ever again. I was standing at a bus stop with my groceries on a Sunday morning when an older man decided to approach me. He told me his name, then asked mine, my age, and tried to strike up a conversation. He asked if I wanted to smoke weed back at his apartment. Great start to this conversation. I said that I was going home. He offered to call his taxi and dial the phone number in. I looked at the phone screen and asked why he didn't just use Uber. He responded with, That doesn't work with my phone despite the fact that he was clearly using a standard Android operating system. He spoke in Spanish for about 30 seconds, so the only part that I understood was him stating the name of the intersection that the bus stop was at. After hanging up, he asked if I lived with anyone and if they'd be expecting me back soon, to which I replied that I lived with my father. He seemed high or maybe just not all the way there during the encounter, and whenever there was a lull in the conversation, he would repeat, You're so pretty, in the most dope-addled voice I could imagine. At this point, I was extremely uncomfortable and thinking of a way to exit the situation. I went to apply a layer of lip balm. He suddenly touched my face and wiped the excess off my lips, then grabbed my chin as if he was trying to kiss me. I shoved him in the chest and picked up my grocery bags and curtly said, I have to go. Bye. He shouted, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, as I headed towards a stop on a busier street. A few months later, I read in the news that a man had tried to lure a 14-year-old boy into his car a few blocks away from where I ran into this creep. I wouldn't have made the connection if I hadn't read the teenager's description and saw the police sketch. 
it was a dead ringer to the creepo that I ran into. What stuck out most to me was the height. I noticed he was only a few inches taller than my 4'11", and the boy's description described him as being between 5'1 and 5'3". I'm not sure if they ever caught this guy, but I haven't seen him since. It was definitely unsettling, but I'm struck more by his unsophisticated and obvious tactics. I felt like I was playing the tutorial for a video game about not being kidnapped. Plus, cannabis is legal in my state now. Nobody needs to hang out with old weird guys to score anymore. I bet all he had was shitty ditch weed anyway. I'm a 22-year-old female, and back in 2019, I decided to download Tinder a few months after a rough breakup. I was very inexperienced with dating, and pretty shy, so it seemed unlikely that I would meet a potential partner in person. Anyway, after a few matches that led to nothing, I came across the profile of someone that I found very attractive. 21-year-old dude. We matched, exchanged Snapchats, and continued to set up a date. Our very first date was relatively normal and enjoyable. We saw a movie, and by the end of it I felt like we hit it off. However, our relationship was extremely short-lived. Not long after I had agreed to be his girlfriend, after about a month or so of going out, he began to behave very erratically, and would sometimes fall completely silent in the middle of a conversation, ignoring every attempt that I would make to ask him what was wrong. He became hot-tempered, slamming doors, and speeding on the road when he was mad. I started to feel really uncomfortable about our relationship. This went on for about a few weeks, until one night, when we were on our way to have dinner downtown, he fell silent mid-conversation. I became extremely anxious as he pulled into a nearby parking garage, wondering what I had done to upset him this time. As we parked, I decided to ask him what was wrong, to no answer. When I asked him again, he shouted at me to shut the f*** up. I was completely frozen for a moment, but upon regaining my faculties, I got up the courage to tell him that we were done. I gathered my belongings from the car and walked over to the nearest coffee shop to call an Uber. It was fairly late at night, so I walked as fast as I could, hoping he wouldn't follow. When I made it to the shop, I noticed that I had several missed calls from him. When I made it home that night, I blocked him on all social media and decided to never contact him again. I'm fairly familiar with the dynamic of toxic relationships, and I knew that if he could talk to me that way, completely unprompted, it was likely that he was capable of much, much more. About a week goes by, as I start to settle my emotions a bit, I decide to confide in a friend, who had never met this guy by the way, about what happened, feeling completely embarrassed the whole time. A few nights later, I receive a text from the same friend. It was a screenshot of an Instagram DM from someone that she didn't follow, my now ex. It said something to the effect of, hey, I'm sorry we're having to meet like this, but so-and-so is ignoring me, and I need to talk to her. My heart absolutely sunk after reading this. I decided to message all of my friends separately and let them know what had happened, just in case it happens to them too. Later that week, I start receiving several DMs from various accounts, all without profile pictures or previous posts. Eventually, I gave in and responded to one, asserting that the relationship was over 
and that I didn't want to hear from him again. I blocked the accounts immediately afterwards. As time went on without hearing a word in weeks, I figured I had reached the end of the situation. Until one morning, while I walked to my car, I noticed something dangling around the handle of my car door. It was a necklace I gave him. He had only picked me up once from my house before. The thought of him driving to my house, about a half hour from his place, earlier that night, freaked me out. I was shaken up for a while. It was by no means an expensive necklace, and I had the exact same one. But I kept it pushing. I thought maybe it was his way of acknowledging that we were done. Two months later, I was working my job at a small boutique near my house, where one of my responsibilities involved answering the phone several times a day. So when the phone rang, I thought nothing of it. But when I picked up, I immediately recognized his voice. He started rambling about wanting his sweatshirt back, but I hung up before he could finish. That was the last time I would ever tell someone I was dating where I worked. I was completely losing it at this point, especially considering he had never called me at work while we were together. This led me to wondering, how did he even know when I would be working, which day, and what time? I told my older sister of the situation, and her being very protective, she decided to message him herself. She told him to leave me alone, and even offered to give him back the sweatshirt for me. He refused, and insisted on meeting up with me in person to get it, when it became abundantly clear that he didn't actually want the sweatshirt back, she threatened him with a restraining order, to which he never responded. And that was officially the last time that I ever heard from him. The torment, the appeals, the unrequested messages lasted longer than the relationship even did. I'm not sure what I did to deserve all the unrequited attention, but I'm glad that it abruptly ended when it did. Ladies, feel no shame or embarrassment when confiding in others about the creepiness that you're exposed to. And fellas, maybe just don't be so damn creepy. This happened about a week ago. It's still kind of just sitting on the top of my head. I don't know how close I actually was to danger, but the way things have been going out here lately makes me think it was heading in that direction. I lost my house about a year ago. It went down in a hurricane, and I've been staying in different places since then while I'm getting back on my feet. I have a bad case of insomnia, so I found myself awake at almost 4 a.m. this night. In order to give myself something to do, I decided to take a walk to my old house, which is just a few blocks away. My porch is about the only thing still standing. I sat down on it to have a smoke, as I do every once in a while. There were these two guys that pulled up on bikes. They were riding around the street, making noise, and overall acting a bit weird. Given the hour that it was, it wasn't completely normal. One of them called out to me and asked for a smoke. I told him that it was my last one, even though it wasn't. I just didn't want to chance this stranger coming into my yard. After a minute of him and his buddy talking in the street, he came over to me on his bike. This amounted to what I was fearing of in the first place, him coming into my yard and striding over towards me. This gave me a bad feeling in and of itself. The neighborhood has been on the decline in recent years, and I honestly didn't trust this person at all. He asked me again if I had a smoke. I apologized and said no. He then asked me if I had anything to drink. 
I thought the fact that most of my home was in piles on the ground would have maybe given off the clue that I didn't. Nonetheless, I told him no. He then reached into his bag and said, Well, I got something for you. He began rummaging through his backpack. While that was going on, I noticed his buddy looking back and forth, almost like he was checking for something specific. I had my 9mm in the front pocket of my hoodie, and thankfully before he walked into my yard, I had already set my hand in my pocket. I couldn't see what he was fumbling for in his bag, but I could hear a snap, followed by what sounded like something being pulled against leather. I used my thumb in my pocket to take the safety off my pistol, which made a louder metallic click than I was expecting. His ears kind of jumped up when he heard it, and he zipped his bag back up quickly while saying, Sorry, I guess I don't. His friend started pedaling away before he did, but he wasn't far behind. I assumed that he pulled something like a knife out, but I'll never really be sure. I got an overall creepy vibe from them both. They continuously asked for things that I didn't have. They saw the state of my home, so they should know I had nothing of value. I felt like they had malicious intent, so I really don't know if I overreacted or if my brain was telling me something. For safety reasons, I'm not taking any more nostalgic trips at night. It's time to move forward and get the hell out of this town. I just got back from a family vacation in Los Cabos, Mexico. We stayed at a nice Westin resort, and usually around 9.30pm, my family would head back to their rooms to go to sleep. Naturally, as a 25-year-old guy, I wanted to stay up, party, or go drinking at bars. But my older brother was working remotely and wouldn't be able to go out with me. After the family went to bed, I went out to a bar around the corner from my hotel and ended up befriending the locals there, as well as a 29-year-old guy from San Diego named Luke, who was there for a wedding. We started hanging out every night after my family went to sleep, and on the third night of the trip, Luke asked if I wanted to meet him in downtown Los Cabos with his friends. I really would have liked to, but I was at an important dinner with the family that went on later than usual. I just ended up staying at the resort that night. The next night, however, I met him at this huge Pablo Escobar-esque mansion that they rented on Airbnb, and he told me how good it was that I couldn't make it out the night before due to a terrifying experience that unfolded the entire night. He explained to me that the night before, his buddy was taking a piss outside, and someone approached him and held out a key with a bump of coke on it. Without thinking, the friend snorted the bump, and the guy who offered it was now demanding that he buy an $80 bag from him. The friend was drunk and refused, while getting pretty aggressive towards them. Things went from bad to worse, as the guy who offered the bump started following their group from bar to bar for the next three hours, taking pictures of the friends, but also staying just far away from the group that it wouldn't raise the suspicions of those around. At some point, another group of men had joined this creep. They were now following behind the group, claiming to be affiliated with the cartel. They warned that if Luke's buddy didn't pay them, they were going to call their boss. Luke eventually went over and tried to smooth things over as best as he could. They told him his friend had stolen from them, and it was going to cost him his life if someone didn't pay up. A cartel member also pulled up his shirt, revealing a pistol tucked in his waistband. Luke did the right thing. He remained calm while offering to take them to an ATM 
and pay out of pocket 160 US dollars so they could all just be left alone. The group of men obliged, following closely behind Luke as he made his way over to an ATM, snatching the cash out of his hand the moment the ATM spat it out. They threw an empty Coke bag in his face and abruptly left. Even after him doing all of this for his friend's safety, the friend denied any responsibility or wrongdoing and even had the audacity to blame Luke for trying to help by getting involved. He also didn't offer Luke a single dollar in return. After this event happened, Luke got robbed again in the same night by a girl who ripped his gold necklace right from around his neck. His friend was cool to me, but sounded like a real asshole after Luke had explained this. Poor dude was just trying to be a good friend and was met with zero gratitude, only to be victimized again in the same evening, this time by a different gender. Needless to say, I'm pretty happy I didn't make it out to meet them that night. I also think that things could have gotten a lot worse for them had Luke not offered the cartel members any money. Be careful out there, and never accept free drugs from a stranger on the street in Mexico, or really anywhere. Nothing in this life is really free, and there's no telling what the actual cost may be. On my 19th birthday, in September of 2014, I'd moved into my first home, a small one-bedroom flat. I was beyond excited to have the freedom and independence that being a woman living alone would offer me, and quickly set about buying new furniture, decorations, and items for my home. One afternoon, on the bus ride home, after a trip into my local town to buy more household items, an elderly gentleman, maybe in his 60s, possibly 70s if I had to guess, started speaking to me. I've always been a social person, and I'll gladly speak to pretty much anybody who speaks to me. So I engage him in the conversation. Just polite chit-chat about what we'd been up to that day, what our plans were for the rest of it, so on. Upon reaching the stop I'd be getting off at, he told me he was getting off at this stop too, as he was visiting a friend who lived in a neighboring block of flats. He offered to help me carry my shopping, and I agreed. I walked with him to the front of my block and said my goodbyes. He left towards a different block, and I thought that that was that. He didn't enter my building or see which flat belonged to me, or so I thought. A few days later, I heard a knock upon my door. I opened it to find the same elderly gentleman standing in front of me. I was quite taken aback considering he shouldn't know which flat I actually lived in. He'd also managed to get into the building without ringing my doorbell. It was then that the realization hit me that a few days back, he most likely would have hidden out of sight to watch which flat I had entered. He quickly forced his way into my home, pushed right past me, all the while speaking to me like he was my friend and this visit had been planned. I lied and stated I was about to leave as my friends were expecting me, hoping that this would encourage him to just go. But instead, he reached his arms towards me. Not in a friendly manner, mind you, but in an attempt to grab and grope underneath my top while using his other hand to try to lower my pants. I immediately flung his hands from me, ran to my door, and told him that he needed to go now, and that I'm calling the police. Luckily, he did exit, but he loitered around my building. I sat on hold with the authorities for what felt like a solid string of minutes, all the while keeping my eye out the peephole, 
watching and monitoring what he was doing and where he was going. He eventually walked out of sight while I was still waiting for dispatch to pick up. I ultimately hung up and immediately called my dad in tears. He rang the police with me, who were just as unhelpful as they could possibly be. Two female officers asked me, why did you let him into the flat? Despite me saying that he'd forced his way in, they encouraged me not to press charges, as the name and address he'd given me in our first exchange were falsified, telling me that it would be difficult to prove, a lot of paperwork, and you'd have to relive it in court if we did manage to find him. I regretfully agreed. I was shocked and scared, and the police already were so unsupportive. It doesn't end there, though. This man continued to stalk me for months, regularly appearing at my door, following me when I was out. It wasn't until he was on the same bus as me to town when I went to meet friends that it finally stopped, as this was the first time I was able to point him out to someone. My friends went over and publicly called him out for stalking and harassing me. They threatened him, saying, if we ever hear of you doing this again, you won't be able to use those arms to hurt another person for a long, long time. Leave our friend the f*** alone. He quickly scampered away, and that's the last that I ever saw of him. But this incident shook me. It all happened simply because I was polite to a seemingly innocent elderly man who wanted to help me and make conversation. Needless to say, I've never accepted another offer of helping me carry my shopping. Be careful who you let help you. It might not be good intentions that they have in mind. I'm a 24-year-old woman, and this is a bit difficult for me to talk about, but I think it's important to address. So my parents split when I was young. Neither my dad nor my mom had their acts together, which in turn caused me to not have my act together. From a very young age, I was drinking and experimenting with recreational drugs. I was just falling into a cycle that my family has always been in. My mother had a tendency to sleep around with anyone that would give her the time of day. This meant inviting some really creepy guys into our home. I think it's important to mention that she was a drug addict and didn't consider any of the danger involved. I had been arrested a few times before the age of 15 for either fighting or underage drinking. It's pretty clear to say that I was a mess. One night, my mom and her occasional boyfriend were waiting up when I stumbled in the door drunk. This was the moment that I realized that I needed to change. Pretty much unprompted, my mom's boyfriend pushed me down and then pulled me into another room of the house. My mom began banging on the door and begging for him to let me go. To this day, I still can't forget the sinister look on his face. It gives me chills just thinking about it. It was the face of someone who had bad intentions. It was a slight smile, and I swear it's burnt into my brain. He said something along the lines of, I'm about to show you why it's bad to let your mom worry about you. I screamed. He kept coming at me, but I put up a fight. After a few minutes of constant struggling, I scratched him in the face, and that enraged him. Thankfully, my mother had phoned the police, and he was arrested before anything serious happened. There was this one cop that was always present when I got in trouble. He was around 60 years old at the time. He was tall, stern, but very warm, 
almost like a grandfather figure that I never had. I remember he was always giving me shit for my behavior. That night, he was there as well. My mom was taken into custody along with her boyfriend, so I was sitting and waiting with him while they were getting my story. Then he said something to me that I'll never forget. I'm really sorry about all of this. I'm sorry, but you're not going home. And then he told me, it's time for you to change. Do you want to end up like her? Or do you want to be somebody? I told him that I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to break that cycle. I was put into foster care, which was a horrible experience at first, but it ended up being what I needed. Me and that cop stayed friends until he passed away about a year ago. I always went to him when I needed guidance. I'm happy to say that I've been a corrections officer for the past two years because of him, and I'm pleasured to honor his memory by pursuing a career in law enforcement. Also, losing me was what my mom needed to get her act together. She's been sober for 10 years, and now married to a wonderful man. While this was difficult to share, and while I know it started out very bleak, my hope is that somebody going through the same thing that I was finds this somewhat encouraging and finds the strength to change their path in this life. I'll try to be as brief as possible on this one and stick to the relevant events that are giving me this feeling. But the latest event happened last night and I didn't get much sleep. So my apologies if I ramble or am unclear. My wife and I recently purchased our first home together after the birth of our daughter. Everything was as you would expect it to be for the first few months. Painting, decorating, renovating, basking in our newfound slice of the American dream. You get the idea. Unusual things started happening several months ago. One day as I was getting home after work, I passed by a strange truck two or three houses down from ours. I say strange for a few reasons. We know literally everyone in our small neighborhood, and I'd never seen this truck or this person before. There's no reason for through traffic to come down our street, and the truck was driving very slowly. Like, put it in drive, but don't press on the gas slowly. As I pulled in the driveway, the truck flipped a U-turn and came back towards my house. As I was getting out of my car, the truck crawled by, and the driver stared daggers at me as he passed, before he sped off. I don't like to judge based on appearances, and I like to think that I don't scare easily, but something about this guy's eyes gave me one of the worst feelings I've ever had in my life. Obviously, this was a weird experience. I mentioned what happened to my wife, telling her that we should be more mindful about security. When I told her about the type of truck, my wife said, That same truck drove by earlier, and the guy stared at me when I got home this afternoon. I thought he was just being creepy and checking me out. I tried to tease her a bit to lighten the mood, calling her cocky for assuming any guy driving by was checking her out. I just didn't want to freak her out, although I definitely was. We saw the truck a few more times over the next couple of weeks, either driving by slowly or parked down the block and facing our yard. But one day, the truck stopped driving by, and we haven't seen it since. I sort of dismissed the whole thing as me being paranoid. But then other things started happening. In the past month or so, 
My wife and I have been hearing tapping on the windows at the front of our house at night. It's happened two or three times to each of us separately, and always around 11 p.m. Always soft, but a distinct tap, 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 tap. It sounds like knocking with a single knuckle on the metal part of a screen door, if that makes any sense at all. The first time that my wife and I heard the tapping together was last weekend. We were in the front room playing with our daughter around 10.30, just about to settle her down for bed. Our front room has a large, almost floor-to-ceiling window running the length of the wall next to the front door, which faces the street. We were all sitting on the floor with our backs to the window, reading our daughter a book, when we heard it. Tap, 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 tap. Now our house is older. Creaks and cracks are not uncommon. But the sound was so distinctly intentional that my wife and I immediately looked at each other and bolted up out of the room. I had my wife and daughter lock themselves in a back room while I turned on all the lights and did a sweep around the outside of the house. Of course, I didn't see a thing and was ready to dismiss the whole thing as more paranoia over something that likely had an innocent explanation. Until last night. Around 10 p.m., we heard our daughter making noise in the baby monitor. I waited a few minutes to see if she would settle down on her own, but when it became clear that she wouldn't, I got up to put her back to sleep. The layout of the room is important to visualize for this next part. The room is on the side of our house, but the exterior wall juts out a bit in an L shape, and the corner of this L is made up of windows. If you're standing in the door to the room, you're directly across from these windows in one corner, and there's a rocking chair in the other corner pointed towards the front of the house. One window faces the street, and the other faces our neighbor's house. A garden bed planted with small shrubs wraps around the outside of the house directly underneath. I was sitting in the chair getting my daughter settled down, I had a lamp on so the room was softly lit. Once she fell asleep, I stood up to place her back in her crib when something caught my eye. There was a figure standing about a foot away from the window in the bare space between the shrubs and the house, and they were staring at us. I didn't look long enough to see anything more than what appeared to be a man in a light gray hoodie standing a few feet away, separated from us by only a single pane of glass. Sprinting from the room, I brought my daughter back to my wife and I's bedroom, leaving her there while telling my understandably confused wife to lock the door. After turning off all the lights inside the house and turning on all the lights outside, I began moving from room to room. Peering outside the windows into the darkness, I couldn't see anything out of the ordinary. Whoever it was must have taken off after seeing me notice them and made a quick exit. Obviously, I had some trouble sleeping after this. I spent hours checking security cameras and going from room to room, looking out windows into the night, hoping, but also not hoping, that I would see anything that could explain what had happened. This morning, I went outside to the spot where the figure would have been standing. I thought, hoped, maybe there was a plant or something that I mistook for a person. When I got to the spot, though, I realized the figure had to be standing exactly in a bare patch of ground, about two feet in diameter, directly in front of that window. Part of me is still hoping that I'm being paranoid, 
the mind can play tricks on you in the dark, seeing things that aren't there, especially when you're a sleep-deprived new parent. But with everything that's been happening, I can't shake the feeling that there was actually someone out there last night, watching us. Please, let me be wrong. This is a story that I don't even know where to begin with, mainly because it never occurred to me that something like this was possible. Yet here I am. Since the age of three, I knew this one girl named Emma. We were originally in the same preschool together. Later, we attended the same elementary school. We were never really close until we turned nine or ten, because we got into the same group of friends and soon became best friends ourselves. Not really surprising for that age. We'd hang out a lot, pretty much spend all the free time we could with each other. I knew that Emma had problems at home. Her mother was an alcoholic and an addict, even though she denied it all the time. Most of the time we'd spend on the streets. However, rarely we'd stay at my place when it was raining or during storms and blizzards. But we never entered her apartment when someone was at home, and even then never stayed longer than 10 minutes. My mother suspected that she was stealing stuff from us. We noticed a pair of golden earrings had gone missing shortly after Emma had been over, and we never found them again. My mom asked me to be more careful around Emma. Eventually, I noticed what my mother meant. Emma would come up with these really out-there excuses to stay in my apartment, like saying that if we ever went out in the rain, she would catch a cold during her period, and in the future she wouldn't be able to give birth due to that. I wasn't a dumb kid, but I decided not to call her out or lend any credibility to the obvious falsehoods that she was stating. One afternoon in the summer, I decided to bring up the topic of Emma's family again. She took me to her home, and there was no one there. Everything went normally, so we began hanging out there more often. I noticed a lot of empty alcohol bottles and syringes around, but it wasn't my place to pry. One of the next few times that we went to Emma's house, I had noticed two extra pairs of shoes at the entrance that weren't there before. And when we left the doorframe and entered her apartment, I saw a woman and a man sitting at the kitchen table, smoking. I knew that Emma's father wasn't in the picture anymore because he died when she was two or so, so I assumed that that man was her mother's friend. Is that my name? You've changed a lot. Such a pretty face, this woman said. I was so weirded out as she and the man stared at me intently, eyeing me up and down. My body, my face, everything. I was pretty sure that I had never met her mother before. So maybe she saw me in a kindergarten album or something? After that encounter, Emma started acting really strangely, asking about my parents' full names, where exactly they worked, whether I have extended family, persuading me to go to abandoned places. She would drag and beg me to go to her place several more times where I met her mother and that man again. Weird comments, especially about my body, happened pretty much every time. I told my mother about Emma's behavior. I didn't tell her about the weird stuff with her mother, and she banned me from hanging out with Emma completely. Shortly thereafter, once Emma and I had stopped talking, her mother took her from the school 
and transferred her to another one. Fast forward a month or two later. It was a regular morning. I was heading out to school when suddenly an old beaten up car pulled up near me and a woman got out. I couldn't see her face clearly due to a scarf being wrapped around it and I assumed that she was just a passenger getting out of her car. So I continued my way towards the school. However, I hadn't even made it more than a step past the car when this woman firmly grabbed my arm. She started saying something about my mother being in the hospital and that I needed to go with her. Her voice seemed familiar, as well as the pieces of her face that I could see. She also said full names of my parents and that she's related to me on my uncle's side. She even said his name. I freaked out and began pulling away from her refusing to get into her car. So she grabbed me by the shoulder, placed her palm over my mouth, and attempted to drag me into the car. That's when I saw the driver was that man from Emma's place. I bit the woman's hand as hard as I could, thrashed about until she let go, and I ran all the way home. When my mother got home, shortly after I did, she was furious after being alerted that I never got to school but she quickly calmed down when she saw my state. My clothes were torn, my arm heavily bruised, and I was sobbing uncontrollably. I was never an emotional kid, rarely even showed mild emotion, so this stood out even more. I explained everything that had happened, and she showed me an old photo album with all the relatives that she could dig up. She asked if I recognized that woman anywhere, and I didn't. Since this time, my mother hasn't said a word to me about that, and we just pretend as if it never happened. Today, though, I stumbled across Emma's Facebook, and there on the front page was a photo of her and her mother with that f***ing scarf. I had denied the possibility that it was her throughout my whole childhood, but here it was, proof that makes it impossible to lie to myself anymore. I need to let this out because my mother never got me any psychological help after this, and I had just bottled it up for years. Why did Emma's mom do that? Did Emma know? What were her intentions if she got me into that car? And how would my life have changed if that were the case? All of these questions are constantly on repeat in my head, even a dozen or so years after this occurrence. I think the coldest part about my constant wondering is that the more that I think about it, the more apparent it is to me that I'll never actually know the true motivation. I'm proud of myself for how I responded in that moment, and if I could go back, the only thing that I would change is that I would have bitten that woman's hand even harder than I did. I'm not sure why I'm posting this or telling you about it, but I feel so absolutely shaken by this experience. I thought telling it might be therapeutic. I should give a content warning that this story discusses the subject like essay of a minor, though no detail is provided. A few weeks ago, I was watching the news and one of the stories reported that a teacher from a prominent private school had been convicted of multiple counts of abuse of a minor the victims including students, as well as his own children. 
the report of his arrest and allegations had been suppressed until the trial was over. However, these details were now being made public. The reporter also referenced that the defense lawyers argued for a reduced sentence on the basis that the teacher had also been abused by his own father when he was a child. When the name and the photo of the teacher was shown, I almost choked. It was Cameron, who was one of my best friends from primary school. I couldn't believe it. In primary school, I was best friends with two other boys, Cameron and Wilson. We finished primary school in 1995, and whilst they were both sent to the same high school, I was sent to a different school entirely, and we therefore lost touch after that. We would often sleep over at each other's houses, either the three of us or just two of us, and I started to recall memories that I had completely forgotten up until this point, all involving Cameron's father. I really don't remember things clearly, but I remember different incidents at various sleepover nights at Cameron's house. Cameron and I would be changing into our PJs before bed, and his father would come in and talk to us. I know it sounds warped, but I still remember thinking that he was doing this because he was treating us like grown-ups. I think this might have been because my family were extremely prudish with nudity, and I must have felt that nudity was an adult thing, and he was therefore treating us like grown-ups by having a normal conversation as we were changing. I know it sounds foolish, but I was around 9 or 10 when this happened, and totally innocent. Remember, this was the mid-90s, and whilst we knew about stranger danger, we didn't consider parents of friends to be strangers, and no one ever talked to us about predators in this manner. I also remember times when Cameron and I would be taking a shower, one after the other, and his father would come into the bathroom to talk to us. I also clearly remember that I saw his father naked once, and he entered the shower just as I was leaving it. This is probably the clearest memory that I have, because it was the first time I had seen a grown-up without any clothing on, and that his nakedness was fully visible as he was standing close to me. Only now, as an adult thinking back to that experience, did I realize he was putting himself quite deliberately on display. I remember him just standing there openly before he entered the shower. I did have a vague memory that he asked Cameron and I to go downstairs, and that Cameron's mother and sister had just gotten home at that point. But as I said, none of these memories are very clear. I hadn't thought about any of this for years, and it dawned on me how innocent I was, in that I didn't realize that his behavior was totally inappropriate. I'm not saying that families who are more liberal with nudity are doing anything wrong, but knowing now that Cameron's lawyer said he was abused by his father, I started to feel sick and overwhelmed by anxiety as I tried to work out whether those experiences were linked, and if there were any more experiences that I perhaps couldn't recall. I really wanted to reach out to Wilson to see if he would be willing to discuss it. I hadn't spoken to him since we were 12, so more than 25 years at this point, but I fortunately found his profile on Facebook. I messaged him to let him know who I was and name the school and year that we finished. Hey, this is Ryan, and we were best friends in primary school. Not sure if you saw this link, but our other friend Cameron was just convicted of child SA. I know we haven't been in touch since we were kids, but I'm hoping you would be open to having a chat with me sometime. I'm just remembering some of the things from my childhood involving Cameron's father. I left my cell phone number and waited for his response. Wilson responded that same day. Oh my god, I saw this story too, and I'm really glad that you reached out. I've been feeling so sick about all of this, and this has opened up a lot for me as well. 
Wilson said that he would call that night. When he called, we ended up speaking for about two and a half hours. His memory was stronger than mine, but that's most likely because the poor guy had more to remember. He said he was abused many times by Cameron's father during those same years. The sequence of events was almost identical to my memories. On the first nights we slept over, Cameron's father started entering the room when the boys were changing before bed. He then started entering the bathroom whilst he was showering, and he eventually entered the shower, which is when the abuse began. He said that Cameron would often be there when it happened, but had no memory of me being there. This went on for a couple of years, and ended in the first year of high school when he turned 13. It was around this age he actually started to become aware that what Cameron's father had done was wrong, and only then did he start to feel uncomfortable about it. He stopped talking to Cameron around that time as well, and they fell out of touch. Wilson never reported it or told anyone. However, he entered into therapy for some time when he was an adult, as he tried to process what he had experienced. I still don't know if I remember that day in the shower accurately. However, if Cameron's mom and sister unexpectedly arrived home, that probably saved me from suffering the same abuse. I had no idea how close I came to experiencing things that could have completely turned my life upside down. It shocks me to remember my innocent child's mind having no awareness that anything was wrong, and it would have been so easy to have taken advantage of that naivety. I'm still wondering if I have suppressed anything more that might have happened, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it so I'll book into therapy to try and work through it. I've changed names in this story, as Wilson still hasn't told anyone, and I don't want anyone reading to piece this together. But the entire experience has shaken me so much. I'm glad that there's more awareness about abuse, and people are more open with their children. But please, please educate and protect your kids. I only know now how easy it is for predators and groomers to take advantage of children. This was back in 2020, while I was still single. I'm a 44-year-old mother of two, but I look like I'm about 27 years old. I was waiting for the delivery of two desks for my sons, as well as office chairs, heavy things that I wouldn't be able to move on my own. My two sons were out hiking that day. My mom, who lives next door, was out with a friend. I had a rare quiet and peaceful day lined up. When a knock at the door rang out, it was the delivery man. He asked with a smile where he could place the items that I ordered. I asked if he would be so kind to bring them into the living room, and that I would move them from there. He smiled and agreed. After he finished moving them, he said that I had a nice home, and asked if I owned it. I told him that I did. Then he asked if I lived alone. Instantly, my instincts went on full alert. I decided to reply in a way that he wouldn't question. I snorted, and then said with feeling, I wish. I have two teen sons that are taller and stronger than me. They seem to outgrow clothes and shoes every month. They and their friends are over here all the time, yelling at their PlayStation games. My nosy mom lives next door, comes over a couple times a day, especially when she sees a strange vehicle in the driveway. I have a couple of friends who are next door neighbors as well. He then asked if I was alone for the day. My same instincts were telling me that this man means me harm. I felt like he was undressing me with his eyes, and I felt sick to my stomach at the same time. So I said, No, my sons are due back any minute now, 
and if my mom is outside, she'll be coming over as well. I rarely have any time to myself. Let me see you outside. My neighbor has three pit bulls who like to tackle people and then to lick them to death. They also do jump scares, growling, and then lunging. They'll listen to me, though. He lost all color in his face and told me he was scared to death of big dogs and that he didn't want to leave the safety of my home. I was internally cussing myself out when I heard screams, barking, laughter, and then a second later my two sons and their friends soaked in mud come running up the steps in an attempt to get away from three very muddy, playful pit bulls. They were begging me to get the doggy treats so that they could race inside my home. I shook my head no. I told them to hold the dog so the delivery driver could leave, and then they were going to hose themselves and the dogs off. Well, they held the dogs, and the guy sprinted for his van and took off. I was so relieved, although I didn't tell my kids a word about it. It was about three days later when I received a call from the company that I ordered the desk from, and they said they had received a large number of complaints about this guy and wanted to know if I had any trouble with him. I told them what happened with me. They thanked me and told me that he had been fired. Since our town is smallish, we have a newspaper, and they run a column on who gets arrested and for what. Turns out, that delivery driver had been arrested for several counts of S.A., as well as battery. I realized that I could have been the next victim if my sons and their friends hadn't shown up. I was quick to let that delivery man in my house, without any question or hesitation. That is something that I won't ever do again. All deliveries can be left on my front doorstep, and my sons will bring them in. I suppose that's what teenagers can be good for. Manual labor. My grandfather Jim died when I was 17, so about five years ago now, and his last months were rough on the whole family. He had an advanced form of brain cancer, but he spent most of his time at home under hospice care. One afternoon, had to be about two weeks before Jim died, I was alone with my grandpa waiting for the hospice nurse to come check in on him. A man who I'd never seen before, we'll call him Dave, knocked at the door. He was wearing hospital scrubs, but he hadn't brought any equipment with him, which I found odd. I asked him if he worked for the hospital, and he simply nodded. He said this was his first shift with Jim, but that he'd reviewed my grandfather's file, and that he wanted to speak to whichever family member had the legal authority to pull the plug. Jim wasn't even on life support, so I guess Dave was using plug as an expression. I should also say that I live in a right-to-die state where euthanasia is legal, so it's not like the option had never occurred to us. But as far as I know, no member of my family had ever expressed an openness to euthanizing Jim. I told him that I had no authority to make that decision, and that my grandfather, who was now delirious and unable to consent to much of anything, had specifically said to prolong his life indefinitely unless he was crying out in extreme pain which he wasn't. Dave put his hand on my shoulder, as though he were consoling me, and he talked about how old people become burdens to their families, and sometimes it's best to just let go. Then Dave pulled out a bottle of pills from his pocket and said that they were barbiturates that would trigger a peaceful death. He said the coroner would determine that Jim died naturally from his cancer. I started to panic, 
I firmly told him that under no circumstances would he be euthanizing my grandpa at this time, but he started to untwist the bottle as he walked towards Jim's bed. I literally had to wrestle the pills from his hand, and he seemed startled by this. He played innocent, and said he just wanted to show the pills to Jim. Dave knew perfectly well that my grandfather had almost no idea what was going on. I promptly called 911 and rapidly explained the situation to the dispatcher. Dave suddenly became very scared and bolted directly out of the house. The cops arrived within five minutes, and Jim's actual hospice nurse arrived a few minutes after that. Based on my physical description, the police and hospital staff were able to identify Dave as a recently fired hospital orderly. Dave was charged with making a criminal threat based on my testimony, but unfortunately, he was acquitted. I'm not sure what else he would have had to do to get punished, aside from forcing those pills right down my grandpa's throat. Part of me hopes to never run into Dave ever again, because I don't know what I would do. But another part of me would like to explore those options given the opportunity. So Dave, it's probably in your best interest that we never meet again.